I've got a question for you. What do you think of when you think of a humble person? I'll give you a couple seconds to collect your thoughts while you think of maybe that one specific person or the attributes of a humble person. Maybe when you thought of a humble person, you thought of the person who likes to talk themselves down sometimes. Or maybe when you thought of a humble person, you thought of the aw shucks attitude when you compliment their hair and it's, oh, I didn't even, it's not even that good this morning. Or when you compliment maybe something they did in small groups, how they contributed to the discussion. Hey, I really loved what you said. Oh, it wasn't even that great. Uh, I, I was just, you know, I was just spitballing. Or maybe sometimes when you give them a compliment, they just take that compliment, form it into a ball, and throw it right back at you. Hey, I love your hair. And then they say, well, I love your hair better. Uh, that is what I think when I think of a humble person. I think that's what culture thinks of when we think of a humble person. Somebody who is quiet, lowly, and sometimes has a lower esteem of themselves. Hey, my name is Kendall Chase. I'm the middle school ministry director here at Momentum Church, and today we're in part 89 of The Bible No One Ever Told You About. And today I'd like to title this message, The Humility No One Ever Told You About. There's this phenomenon that happens in culture where the culture takes a specific word and they bring its own meaning into it. Uh, you can see this all over the place, especially with modern day slang. Uh, one of these words is lit. Hey guys, it's lit. Uh, and sometimes you'll look at a light bulb and you'll say, indeed, this light bulb is lit. But that's not really what they're talking about. Lit is another word for cool, awesome. Hey, it was lit. I had a good time. Or maybe you heard the word salty. Uh, yes, seawater sea is indeed salty. So are Triscuits and so are chicken in a biscuit. But that's not what people mean when they say you're salty. When they say you're salty, they're really saying, oh, he's upset. He's a little agitated. Uh, he's bitter. Sometimes when I play video games with some of my buddies and I lose very badly, uh, I would say that I'm salty because I lost. Lit versus lit. Two totally different things. Salty versus salty, not the same thing. And I'd like to argue that culture does the same thing with humility. Culture defines humility, and, and this is probably what you thought of when I asked you that question at the beginning. Humility, the person who is probably a little quiet, carries the aw shucks attitude, and has a lower esteem of, uh, of themselves, doesn't think too highly of themselves. I'd like to make the argument that humility in the Bible is nothing like that, actually. That the Bible defines humility in completely different grounds. And Jesus, our Lord, gives us the perfect example and the perfect definition of humility. And we find that in uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. And that's where we're going to find our definition of humility. So we'll go ahead and dive right in. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count, your, uh, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which, you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
the Letters to Humility guys, thank you for joining me, and I'll see you guys next week. No, it doesn't really jump off the page that easily. I wish it did. But humility is perfectly illustrated here. Let, let, let me explain. Let me give some context. Thousands of years ago, when God created the earth and everything in it, he also created the first two humans, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were specifically told by God himself, hey, don't eat from this one tree. Sure enough, on one fateful hike, they're walking around the garden. They pass by this tree. Out of curiosity, they approach, and out of temptation from Satan, they take the fruit and they bite it. As soon as their teeth sink into the flesh of that fruit, they had committed the first sin of mankind. And from that moment forward, everything was different. All of the earth was fallen, and along with all of the humans on the earth were fallen. Adam and Eve had committed the first crime against God, and from that moment forward, no single human could escape sinning against God. And for thousands of years, millions of people, man and woman, would sin against God. They would commit crimes against God. And God, being perfectly righteous and perfectly just, could not just let this sin go, could not let these crimes go. These sins needed a punishment. And for thousands of years, this punishment was being built up and built up and built up. Then one day, this young lady named Mary was told that she was going to be give, giving birth to the Messiah. This baby boy would be born, he'd be named Jesus. This Jesus would grow up. He'd become a man, and as he was a man, he would go around healing. He'd heal the deaf, he'd heal the sick, he'd raise the dead. And it turned out that this man, Jesus, was not just a man. He was a man and God. He was fully man, fully God. 100% man, 100% God. And not only that, he was also the first man to be able to escape sin and all of its consequences. He went around healing people who didn't deserve it. He raised people who didn't deserve it. And then he walked himself to the cross where he died for people who didn't deserve it. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took the punishment for our sin. The, the thousands of years of sins before us and the thousands of years to come after us, all the punishment for those sins, for those who call on Jesus Christ as their God and Savior, their sins, their punishment for their sins would be, would be laid on Jesus and we would be washed clean. And maybe this might be where it starts to jump off the page a little bit. God became human. Christ, Jesus, he put on flesh and he came down to earth so that he could be with us. He didn't forcefully give up any part of his godliness, but he laid it down voluntarily so that he could be with us to die for us, even when we didn't deserve it. He didn't owe us anything, but he died like he owed us everything. Max Lucado, a Christian author, gives a beautiful illustration of this. It reads, I'm watching a family of black-tailed squirrels. I should be working on a Christmas message, but I can't focus. They seem set on entertaining me. They scamper amid the roots of the tree of, uh, north of my office. We've been neighbors for about three years now. They've watched me peck on my keyboard. I watch them store their nuts and climb the trunk. We're mutually amused. I could watch them all day, and sometimes I do. 
but I've never considered becoming one of them. The squirrel world holds no appeal to me. Who wants to sleep next to a hairy rodent with beady eyes? Some of you might know what that's like. Give up the Rocky Mountains, bass fishing, weddings, and laughter for a hole in the ground and a diet of dirty nuts. Count me out. Here it comes. You ready? Here it comes. But count Jesus in. What a world he left. Our classiest mansion would be, the, would be a tree trunk to him. Earth's finest cuisine would be walnuts on heaven's table. The idea of becoming a squirrel with claws and tiny teeth and a furry tail, it's nothing compared to God's becoming an embryo and entering the womb of Mary. God, the infinitely amazing, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God, who is perfect, who had it perfect in heaven, decided to come down and become us lowly humans so that he could save us lowly humans. And in that example, he sets the perfect definition of humility. As John Piper puts it, humility is the inverse of entitlement. See, entitlement is walking around the world and looking at everybody as if they owe you. You owe me, you owe me, you owe me. You were late last night, you owe me. I did the dishes, so now you owe me. Hey, I put a roof over your head, fed you three square meals a day, and then uh, gave you everything you ever had. You owe me. What's the inverse of you owe me? I owe you. When Jesus came down on earth, not while he was on earth, he healed many people. He taught many people. He had grace on everyone he came across. He was God. He didn't have to do that, but he looked at everyone as if he said, I owe you. Then he died on the cross as if he owed us. He didn't, but he died as if he did. And so I think a fitting definition of humility is an attitude of I owe you. That answers the first question, humility, what is it? Now here's the second question, humility, how do we do it? Philippians 2.8 gives us a pretty good answer. In Philippians 2.8, and, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The next 30 seconds is going to be for my language nerds. Join me in this fun that we get to have uh, with the original language of Greek. In the Greek, this sentence is formed by the main clause, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. That is the main clause of that sentence. He humbled himself, the independent clause. What is shortly followed is by becoming obedient. In the Greek, the verb by becoming is a participle. It is an adverbial participle. The role of an adverbial participle is to modify the, the, the main verb of the clause, which is humbled. So becoming modifies humbled. Now to get even more specific, the role of this adver adverbial participle answers the how question. How 
did Jesus become humble? Well, it gives us a pretty good answer, doesn't it? By becoming obedient. Some translations miss it just a little bit, but this one got it pretty well. He humbled himself. How did he do it? By becoming obedient. So I think it becomes clear enough that humility only comes from obedience. Just as when you exercise, the result is bigger muscles. Or when you diet, the result is losing some weight. Or when you plant a seed, the result is a flower coming out. When you're obedient, the result is humility. So that changes things just a little bit. If humility is the result of something, then you have to pursue what the cause is. The obedience is the cause of humility. So, so the subject now changes from humility to obedience. And, and in this, I, I'd like to make the argument that obedience is where the life changes at, not humility. Obedience will change your life. Humility won't. Here's what I mean. That might seem a little harsh. Here's what I mean. If humility is the result of something, we can't just pursue humility because we're never going to find it. We have to pursue what causes humility. And humility is found only in obedience. And when you open the door to obedience, you find an infinite amount of riches. One of those riches is humility. And so, sure enough, this kind of turns into what is obedience and, and why is it important? Because then and only then will we find the infinite riches that come with it. It's, it's similar to um, the fruits of the Spirit, maybe. If you, have the fruits of, if, if you want to pursue the fruits of the Spirit, gentleness, kindness, patience, you know, maybe someone just tell you, just, just be more patient, just be more kind, be happier, be more faithful, that's okay. It'll work out doesn't exactly just work like that if you want to pursue the first fruits of the spirit what must you do you got to pursue the spirit first pursue the spirit then the fruits will come so as when you pursue obedience humility will come jesus understood this he pursued obedience he was obedient which led to his humility See, when oftentimes, this is one of the phenomenons again, culture takes this word and gives it a new definition. Obedience, oftentimes we think of someone cracking a whip over you and telling you exactly what to do, or, or like a dog, uh, you're, you tell your dog to sit before you give them a treat, and if they don't sit, they don't get the treat. But this was not the type of obedience that Jesus pursued. He pursued an obedience all on his own. He chose obedience. And why did he choose it? He chose it out of love, and uh, for his father, for his heavenly father. He wanted to be closer to his heavenly father and he wanted to do what his heavenly father wanted him to do. I think Jesus knew the all satisfying riches of knowing God. The, the true contentment that comes when you're adding to the divine happiness by pursuing what he wants you to pursue or entering into the life that God had for him. I think he knew that and that's why he pursued obedience. And I think it's in our best interest to also pursue obedience. See, in obedience, we, it, it's like when you're walking to school, 
for, for my middle schoolers out there, when you're walking to school, but instead someone you offers a ride in a Tesla. Would you walk to school or would you ride in the Tesla? If you walk to school, you might roll your ankle, you're gonna get tired, you're gonna get sweaty, you're gonna show up to school and you're gonna smell bad. You ride in a Tesla, you get a ride in a Tesla. If you're pursuing God's will and you're pursuing obedience, you're walking in exactly what God has for you. And because God is loving and faithful, it's the best possible place you can put yourself. Obedience is where the riches are. So then we get to a point of obedience and then the question looms, well, okay then God, what do you want me to do then? Generally, he'll get more specific with you as time goes. Generally, he points us to himself first. We get to enjoy him. We get to enjoy his presence. We get to love him. We get to let him fill us, fill us up. We get to let him point us directions. We get to know him, have a relationship with him because Jesus washed us clean. And secondly, he points us to others. See, when we're, when we're being obedient, it's not for the sake of, this, of these other people. It's more so with the attitude of, I'm not doing this for you. I'm not being obedient. I'm not doing all these great things for you. Or I'm not doing it because I'm in debt to you. I'm not doing it because I want to be noticed by you. I'm not doing it because I want your praise. I'm doing this because I want to draw closer to my God. I want to make my father proud. I want the abundant life that comes through a relationship with him. I'm doing this as an act of faith because my Lord has asked me to. Sounds a little humble, doesn't it? If you really wanted to, you might be able to put it this way. Humility is the attitude of obedience. But obedience always comes first. It's the attitude of I owe you. You're, you're looking at the rest of humanity around you with the attitude of I owe you because Jesus died for me and I want to pursue a relationship with you. With him, rather. When we pursue that relationship with him, he points us right back to other people. And now we get to do exactly what our God has asked us to do. And we get to experience that relationship in the faith, and the humility that comes along with it. Suddenly, Proverbs 22.4 becomes a lot more clear in what it means. It says, humility is the fear of the Lord. It has very little to do with other people, actually, but has everything to do with your relationship with God. Let's put a bow on this, huh? Jesus died so that we could be washed clean. Washed clean from all of our sin, we would no longer have to face the punishment for our sin, and we get to enjoy a relationship with God starting now and lasting forever into eternity in heaven. Now that we're saved and we have a relationship with God, obedience and consequently humility are a sure path to further your relationship with God, to experience him, to know him, and to draw nearer to him. If that's what you've been longing for, and I know it's what I have been longing for, and I will forever long for it, I hope you can hop in the same boat as I am. What's your next step? I got three steps um, that you can choose one and roll with it this week. The first of these is prayer. Start in prayer. See, maybe you don't have a heart for obedience. Maybe you just 
uh, it's not in you yet. You don't have that fire. Pray. Pray for a heart of obedience. Pray that God shows you what obedience is and how important it is and, and the riches and glory that come with it. If that's you, pray that this week. Take as much time as you can and pray that this week. Second, start in scripture. Man, if you want to pursue obedience, you got to know what God is asking in the first place. And the first, and where we go to learn where God, what God is asking is in the Bible. He tells us over and over and over and over and over again what he's asking for. And so when we read that, we get to pursue that. And lastly, start, or if this is you, start in service. Maybe you know what's God, what God is asking, and you, and you have a heart for obedience. Now it's time to put the pedal to the metal. In faith and in love, you go out and you serve. And I'm not saying go to, to the Dominican Republic right now and, and do a mission strip. If, if you're called to that, that's awesome, but that's not for everybody right now. It can be a small. Maybe your spouse uh, wasn't able to get the chores done that day, so you pick them up for them. Or maybe being a little extra generous. If you see somebody, if you're at a restaurant, maybe leave a good tip. God sees that. Maybe there's someone needy, and they need food, water, money, whatever. You give it to them. God sees that. Doing the little extra things that nobody asked for, God sees that. Being the last one to dish their plate when it's dinner time, God sees that. Being the last to sit down, being the last to talk in a, in a situation where other people wanna voice their, voice their concerns. What is God asking for? If you know that, start doing it. So this week, as we venture out into our own lives, as we venture out into the world, Let's pursue hearts of obedience and be obedient to please our God in heaven and grow in our faith in him. That's what I got for you this week, and thank you for joining us.